Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. We're live recording from the Southern Hemp Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. My guest this round is Alva Baker. He's with Farmco by Greenfield Global. Went by their booth and picked up a little, little handout from them. Y'all are a ethanol and high purity solvents and carrier oils, correct? Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's exactly it. What has been, um, what would y'all say y'all focus on the most with uh, these three? I guess it was, there's something obviously I would say is sold more than the other. Absolutely. So we are an ethanol producer. So we're as close to the source as you can get on ethanol. Um, and we produce high purity pharmaceutical grade ethanol, USP, which is the United States Pharmacopeia Compendia. I mean, it is an incredibly important standard that this industry is not required to use, but it is something that we push heavily because we know that these need to be safe consumer products and therefore they need to be made with safe raw materials. And so we supply a very high quality ethanol to the, to the industry um, and we manufacture it directly ourselves. We also supply a full line of high purity solvents that we directly manufacture as well. Well, this is awesome. I'm opening this book now. I'm looking at this and your distribution and manufacturing. You have one out of Dallas. Yes, sir. Awesome, because we're a Dallas-based organization. Yes, sir. Um, we have quite a few customers in Texas. What is, I guess, what is your pitch when somebody comes through and wants to know about Farmco and what it can do for them? If you want a quality supplier that cares about your business, no matter the size, that's who we are. Um, we supply the raw materials, the chemicals that are needed throughout either the extraction process or, or post-extraction processes. Um, for winterization, to make isolate or distillate. We even offer carrier oils for people to use when they're making the tinctures. Um, that's, the, that's the emulsifier. Like the majority of what's in a tincture bottle is actually the liquid emulsifier, not as much CBD or THC. It is, it is the liquid emulsifier that's in there, which is typically MCT oil. Yeah, I noticed that in the book, is, I was talking about MCT oil, one of the pages I flipped to earlier, mm -hmm. and y'all are doing it from coconut. Mm -hmm. um, y'all got quite a bit of packaging options here. So I see it's all the way between one pint and a rail car. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There is no customer too big or too small for us. Um, that's one of the things that makes us quite special. There is not a different or there's not another producer, an actual ethanol producer in the country that packages to this type of scale from pints all the way to rail cars and sells them directly to the end user. That is, that is only Greenfield Global. I see this and I'm not going to lie. Um, if you ever watch Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to put a solvent in. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, Breaking Bad is the is is chemist gone gone wrong. <laughs> and I know, and I know. Yesterday I talked to y'all, and you know, well, I was asking, well, are y'all getting y'all's ethanol like out of hemp? Yeah. And it's like not currently. And you mentioned corn, but I didn't realize y'all had cane derived ethanol. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, the reason that we have cane derived ethanol is because we sell a lot to the flavor industry, and they have wanted to go non GMO. Um, so the cane-derived ethanol is imported from Brazil. We are the largest importer in the country, and it is non-GMO certified. So most of the flavor industry has switched over to this ethanol because of that factor. Um, and so that we are definitely a supplier to the flavor industry. And it'll be interesting when this industry switches over to that as well. And I'm, my mind goes, oh, there's, I'm pretty sure the city of Houston would be very interested in y'all because uh, there's an area we call Sugarland. Okay. And it's because it used to be one of the biggest sugarcane oh, um, plantation areas in like the country mm -hmm. and even across the world. So there's plenty of cane coming out of Houston to I make ethanol. It. I love it. So hopefully, hopefully somebody out there can start brokering a deal with, with, with Farmco here. <laughs> I love it. We offer organic versions of both the corn and the cane ethanol. The, um, man, that really got loud. <laughs> Your high purity solvents. Um, I see this, and I'm even with my background, I'm like, what is a hexane? What is a heptane? Um, well, so hexanes and heptanes are, are chemicals that are used. I mean, heptane is actually very commonly used in food production. Um, all of these products are used very commonly in food production and have been for decades. Um, this industry is learning how to safely use these products for production of consumer products. Um, but, uh, you know, something like inheptane, high purity inheptane, that is a linear molecule. Um, and, and so it's very safe to manufacture with as long as you use it properly. Um, and so these are very common products that we sell to this industry. Sometimes they are used for cleaning. Sometimes they are used for post-extraction processes. It really just depends on what the person's application is. You have to think about extraction sort of like a craft distillery. Every craft distillery that you go to does a little bit differently. They're all making a vodka or a gin, but they do it a little differently. And that's the same way that this industry is. is that they're creating these fantastic products, but they all do it slightly differently. And something I see is a term I was trying to figure out in my mind the other day. Um, Y'all have water and it's like deionized and reverse osmosis. That stuff is insanely clean. Mm -hmm. And obviously because you're doing extracts and it's, people are using this in labs, they mm -hmm. need this purest thing 
and get their hands on. Um, this stuff is better than bottled water. Oh, absolutely. By like a long shot. Uh, but bottled by, water probably should be. Even though, yes, there are some very innovative companies out there that are trying to create incredibly like quality water. Um, but this is this is what people are using um, in various different processes. I mean, there's people even that do water extraction. I see, and I say this because I have a background. I was in the Navy for six years, mm -hmm. uh, nuclear power plant operations. Oh, wow. So we have, we have deionized and reverse osmosis water. Mm -hmm. We have the habit for doing lab experiments. We, we want to put a specific type of water into your reactor because if you have all these other impurities, corrosion. Yep. Corrosion starts to take place. Mm -hmm. So it's very... People who are thinking, oh, I can just get away with, you know, just the, the Fiji water I get at the store on a, on a moment. So no, no, no. You need deionized reverse osmosis water. <laughs> yeah, people tell me the same thing, that they use Everclear instead of buying the high purity ethanol from us. Um, and I'm like, well, I mean, you can use Everclear, but that's definitely not um, the, the best or the safest practice to be following. There's impurities that are still in it. It's Absolutely. Like, it's a very pure product as far as consumption for drinking it. Absolutely. And you're bringing up something there that I've been, I was talking to another gentleman today about is, um, we were talking about yesterday, food, we, we talked about food grade. Uh -huh. And food grade is great for, if you're talking about ingesting things via your digestive tract. Mm -hmm. You need a different grade though, beyond food grade, if you're talking about someone who's using something that's going to be inhaled. Yeah. Th so th depending on how you manufacture it, the ethanol that we provide is it adheres to the American Chemical Society standards, ACS. It also adheres to the United States Pharmaco Pharmacopeia standards. Um, and so it really is in how you manufacture it to determine whether or not it is going to be safe, but it should be fully able to be ingestible in the right form. Yes. And that's saying a lot of that comes down to the form because like MCT oil, you know, the chalk rate, that is a food safe item. Correct. And it's great if you're doing that for an edible. Yes. And people are still not understanding though that you can't smoke that. No, correct. It's not healthy to yes. smoke that at all. No, absolutely not. No. And I mean, you know, we are a raw material supplier, so we are not responsible for exactly the way that things are manufactured. Um, but we do try to educate people on the importance because we do have a lot of background and knowledge in how those things work in other industries. So we try to parlay that into this industry it's as like best a we can. It's great. That's just to me, that's good business. They mm -hmm. give this forewarning to say, hey, um, we're giving you, we're providing the MCT oil. This is not something you can go put in a dis another like Delta 8 distillate product yeah. and try to pass it off for yeah. paper cartridges. Yeah. We try our best to provide yeah. guidance when, when we're asked. Awesome. That is amazing. So has there been anything here at the, or at the, the expo that has stood out to you? Honestly, yeah. One of the things that I was super excited about was seeing a lot of the work that's happening in genetics. Um, and then there was also a, a compliance consultant group that was uh, specifically focusing on CGMP compliance, so certified good manufacturing practices. And that is incredibly important to us. We are GMP certified um, or GMP compliant, I think is the proper term. Um, so it is definitely important to have that in different manufacturing processes. And yeah, what's up, Morris? Um, and so it's, it's very important to have good manufacturing processes. And even though it is not necessarily required in this industry yet it will be and the people that are going to set themselves up for longevity and for success are the ones that are going to try to copy the standards that are already regulated in other industries um, and prepare for the future because that's for, for sure the direction that we're going in well i appreciate you you spending your time over here with us and joining us for our podcast um i know that it's been y'all were talking earlier to me about it's very weird how social media is operating with your company right now so mm-hmm Plug where they, people can find you online. Yeah, you can come to farmco.com. So P-H-A-R-M-C-O.com is our website. And you can click on the extraction tab and find out some stuff specifically about myself and my team that we service this industry as our sole focus. Um, and so you can check it out there. And you can also check us out at Alva, A-L-V-A underscore Farmco on Instagram um, and on LinkedIn as well. Alva Baker on LinkedIn. And our, our head company is Greenfield Global. Farmco is the brand of Greenfield Global. So you can also go check out our entire parent company's website at greenfieldglobal.com. Awesome. Well, I thank you, Alva, for joining us. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of the Southern Hemp Expo. Absolutely. It's been so great seeing everybody again. All righty. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, the Lone Star Collective Podcast, joined by guest Alva Baker of Farmco by Greenfield Global. We are live recording from the Southern Hemp Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. We will be right back after these sponsor messages. Thanks.
of Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams. Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Back from our sponsor break, we are live recording from the Southern Hemp Expo in Nashville, Tennessee, the 2022 event. I'm joined by I'm Matthew, 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 for Matthew, Bratcher, Matthew Bratcher for Kentucky Normal. Been having quite the discussion about legalization in Kentucky. They're right next to the Tennessee Normal booth. Wish I could get them on, but we're going to have the Tennessee Growers Coalition here in a moment. What's it been like for Kentucky? It's been a struggle. Uh, you know, we've... Uh... We've been involved with this uh, fight since 2017. Uh, for the last five years, we've had some medical bills put forth. And for the last three, they've passed the House uh, unanimously. Um, of course, we've had some issue in the Senate with it even being heard. Like, you know, we're not even getting assigned committees. And if it is assigned a committee, it's not being heard. And they keep saying, well, I'm not happy with it, which to me just means they look to chop it up anymore. And of course, as the year goes on, they compromise more and more. And <laughs> We're very familiar with that in Texas, as I've told you. Our house goes, yeah, we're all for this medical item you've got. We're all for the medical. And then it quickly turns into, like, we get to the Senate, like, no, water's down. Yeah. Sustain this, sustain this a little bit. That's not the bill we really, not the bill we wanted. And it's like, but that's the bill the constituency wants. That's right. I mean, and we've got 98% approval citizenship for a medical program, over 60% for a rec program. You know, at this point, it is... Uh, I think it's about political points and scoring political points and taking getting the credit, you know, um, but that's that's how the game's played. But in the end, all we really want is a good bill. Patients will not be too much of a struggle for. We want to open. We want plenty of access for patients. We, we don't want a very restrictive list of qualifying conditions. We want to be able to open that up or at least have a pathway where that can be expanded later on. I take it you all have quite a few conservative House members. Some of your, your house is obviously loving this concept. But there's House members who are pretty much, despite being extremely conservative, they say this should be a doctor-patient relationship. Certainly. No, uh, um, the last few medical bills have been put forth by Republicans uh, and, and had bipartisan support. But the Republicans are, have hold a super majority in the House and Senate. So anything that goes through has to be basically approved by leadership. Um, House leadership, like I said, they're, they're passing this bill. It's going through committee. And it's not getting chopped up very much. But, you know, each year they're going to make more compromise because that's what they're hearing from the Senate. Yeah, and then saying our state, it's the same thing of we've had Representative Stephanie Click. Um, our listeners are very familiar with this person. She's a medical professional out of her, her area near Dallas, Texas, and she's been pretty much the author of our, our medical program the entire time. It's usually been her bills, and she has been, I'd say she's very much opened up a lot as to where she wants to take the medical program. Like you said, then it has to get, obviously, leadership approval. Do you want to make sure your governor is going to be on board for it before you start trying to push something elsewhere? Because there's no point in finally getting it in the Senate, getting it heard, just to have your governor go, well, no. Certainly. And I think, you know, where we're at with Brashear, you know, if, if he gets any medical bill on his desk, he's 100% for it. But maybe that's why the political points don't want to go towards him, you know, him being of the minority party. Um, 
you know, and we've got a lot of good Democrat bills coming up, but they're just not getting heard. You know, we had a great decrim bill that dealt with a lot of expungements, you know, and, and it was a fantastic bill. Um, but it just, it didn't even get heard in committee in the house, you know, and there's, and there's lots of support for it and it's just political games. And, and I'm sure all the states see some part, some partisan gamesmanship going on. So, you know, it's just kind of part of the process, but you know, we are working very hard to educate and, and, and get their minds out of what they see. And they, a lot of them still have this old school drug war mentality. And I'm sure you have that same in Texas. You know, a lot of police departments are still wary of any kind of progress on it because a lot of their budgets are tied up. Exactly. Or we talked about that and, and, and you know all <laughs> kinds of stuff like that so you know it's it's very problematic but we get a lot of more people on board you know we've got you know great organizations like leap out there that can help bring law enforcement involved awesome. a little bit better on the uh conversation so you know, the avenues are there we're just slowing our time and just picking our battles and finding the right conversations to have well, yeah that's that's a lot of it is picking the battle to have and it becomes trying to think how to describe it man this let me just take a break there we go. We were talking about how you vocalize and how you go about the message you're going to have and organizing to get behind something. Because then you mentioned there's a p- political point. And we watched in Texas as we had decriminalization bills that came up and there were Democrat bills and there were Republican bills. And we had, I believe, two Republican bills that got heard. One of them I absolutely loved. It was a guy named Stephen Toth. And he, we are not, me and him, I'm going to say, are not going to see eye to eye on everything. Um, you know, again, another very conservative member of our, our house. There's the one I was thinking of earlier is uh, Representative James White, who ran for Ag Commissioner in our state, and he was doctor-patient relations. That was his view on it. He put forward a decriminalization bill as well to decriminalize concentrate, so I'm there to testify for that. I go for Steve Toth's bill, because I looked at it, I was like, well, to me, I was like, y'all seem like it's too much in the House, but I want to back this bill because I know it'll get over to the Senate. A Republican wrote it, and it has probably a better likelihood that the Republican lieutenant governor may give it a spot. And they're like, well, and like, well, it's going to get watered down. I'm like, watered down to what? The other bill that we were trying to get across might not make it because a Democrat wrote it. It's like, you've really got to see where the political yeah. points are going. And, you know, you have to expect that a certain amount of compromise is going to have to be put. Yes. You know, regardless of how great the bill, like, because when we have the conversations about what we look for in, in a bill, whether it's medical reg, decrim, hemp regulations, this is, we kind of give them like, this is what we want, what we'll suffer. You know, like this, please don't cut it back any further here. We want yeah. this, but don't go back further here. And then like, you know, there's certain things for me that are non-starters that, you know, I can't stop. Like our programs have, have tried to introduce a pharmacist. That's the last stop of the relationship on, the, on their oh, way. Wow. And it's been, oh man, no, no. <laughs> of course it was pushed forth by pharmacists who are in the house of representatives who want to, you know, get involved in it in some way. But, you know, and, 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 and they talk about like, well, it's going to stop abuse and it's all this other stuff. And, I, and my point to them always is, did it really stop the opioid addiction abuse problem we have out here? You know, it's a problem. And pharmacists kept filling those prescriptions. They didn't stop it. They didn't. They saw the red flags and they didn't fly anything. The, the, you know, and a lot of those guys were part of the problem of, of, it's of never, it's and, a, and selling under the table. So you'll have an, an extra step. Stop a patient, you know, a patient who has to go get approved by the state to, to be able yeah. to get a card, get a doctor to sign off on it. And then finally get to a pharmacist, have to pay another fee and then have the pharmacist tell you no. Absolutely not. They, like the dispensaries have to have a relationship with the pharmacy. It's how they've been right. And I'm like, absolutely not. That's a terrible bill. But it's hard to get that pulled back because of how the pharmacy industry is you know, represented in, in our Well, in something our that we, message, we, we, we mentioned with messaging is that nobody should be going to saying this is going to stop an opioid issue. Like, there's always going to be people who will abuse this. They're going to find a way to get their hands on it. But can we reduce the number of people who fall into this system Certainly. and they get trapped? They become addicted. They begin a psychological and physical addiction to this. And I'm glad that, like, at least in my, in my own neighborhood, I have a pharmacist who's like, oh, I get it. I'm totally on board for this. I think it should be doctor-patient. I'm personally the type that if, that if we ever had it on this level where it was a pharmacy thing, I would say, you know what? The doctor knows what he's doing with this. They've obviously gone and researched it. And I, and I get it. There's also the flip side where you have doctors who do things off-label, which isn't always bad. But then there's times where it's like, that really doesn't seem like that's good for that. Yes, no, certainly. The pharmacist who went through all these chemical classes, these pharmacology classes, and understands their structures versus, as what I'm telling me, the doctor who maybe took one semester of this, certainly. one class. Certainly. But, you know, when you go and get a prescription filled, a lot of times it's just you're having the tech fill it. And then and the all pharmacists they, and like, all any are, questions? No. All right. And all they are pretty much glorified data entry clerks. So, like, yeah. <laughs> it's not serving I mean, its purpose I'm not, anymore. I'm not, hating on the I'm not hating on the profession because I, I know a lot of people that do it, but they also understand where where that where that where that line is and, and, and where they they don't need to be involved you know a lot of pharmacists are in our state are against the bill because like 
need to understand the doctor patient could be as it is. And there's been part of, uh, as James White put it, I had an interview with him. If I remember correctly, the terms he put in was, how do you tell a mother who brings in her child that's got this ailment going on and there's doctors going, hey, we've seen, we've seen enough research to know this takes care of, this addresses this issue. How do you sit there and tell this mother, oh, I'm sorry, I can't push that forward. I can't help you. I can't help your kid. You know, it's just there's too many people out there who, because they don't know any better or they don't know much about it, can you tell that mother no? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard and it's tough. And it's, you know, when you're dealing with patients, when you're dealing with healthcare, when you're dealing with people who are trying to get better, like it's very emotional, as, you know, and I, it's something that I've really took to heart. You know, when I first started, I got very you know, tied in with everybody and I, I gave myself too much of, gave too much of myself a lot of times, you know, we've lost a lot of friends in just a few years that I've been doing this, you know, and it's, it, but I still go and fight for them, you know, like, like I know because they would, they would still be there if, if they were here today. And like, you know, these people, they, they hear no all the time and they're not giving up. And so I can't give up for them either. I say my son's got autism. I initially was like, I'm focused more on him being able to have access. Our last session, they put autism in the list. Um, and I was like, people are like, well, you're done. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm continuing this. Like, it, it's not just autism. It's like, I've got RA and I've got other mental stuff going on and other physical ailments. Not, I've got to fight for me too. Oh, like, like, this is something I was like, I need to fight for me. And I realize there's other people as well that they're in these positions with their families where it's like, yeah, their kid got prescribed this and they're on the list, but family protective services can still come in. Absolutely. It's like, we've got to fight to fix that problem. Finally fix that. You, in Texas, you cannot remove a child out of the home because they're in our compassionate use program. And you cannot take in a child out of the home just based off the, the fact alone that the parents are using. Yeah. You must prove that they're actually trying to harm the child. They're actively harming the child with it. So we, we started fixing that. People are like, so you're done? And I'm like, no, we've got to raise, the, we've got a 1% cap. We know, we know 5% would be a world better yeah. than 1% as far as people who need more tincture than normal. It's like, we need to be able to bring in inhalables. At minimum, to give us vape cartridges. Yeah, so we, yeah. Can, so we can show, it's like, hey, you know, there's, this can be done. It can be done without the adverse health effects you think would be coming from, from smoking fire. It's not the danger you think it is. Right. So there's still, like you said, there's, there's plenty to work on. And the fight will never end. You know, and, I, and, and, and so many states who have in a qualifying condition bills where they have to continue to fight every year, every year, every year, bring this back. I mean, our last bill had four qualifying conditions. <laughs> I understand that. I mean, we know like, that struggle. pretty wide range, you know, like chronic pain, that's pretty open-ended, you know, that's pretty good. And then some of the other ones were the ones that you expect, you know, seizures and things like that, you know, <laughs> you know, force a pretty low number. And, and a lot of the, even our physicians were like, we need a wider range of conditions. So, well, yeah. you know, and, and, and the fight will never end, you know, in Kentucky, I know it's, it's it, we're, we're still just trying to get a little bit of decrim. You know, we, we worked on, you know, in Louisville a few years back, we got a decrim ordinance there at the municipal level. Uh, you know, it's our largest city. The uh, county attorney came out. I'm not prosecuting anymore. Police was like, we're not arresting anymore. We went through the city council, got an ordinance passed. We've tried others. Yeah, and it's good work. And it starts an avalanche effect. But we've had a lot of smaller communities not want to pick it up so much. Or they want to work with another city and kind of do it at the same time. And there's always they want to test the water out. They all there's always something else, right? But you know we've got Illinois just opened up you know last year or two into a full wreck, and so you know we've got border towns that are like we've got to address this because one we're we shouldn't be arresting folks who are just going over there for personal use, and, and two you know it's it's not good look you know, <laughs> and, and we want to be and they're more you know progressive on that kind of laws, and and Paducah has 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 been you know perceptive to, to thinking about doing an ordinance. They're getting people on the ground, kind of be more hands on with it. You know, and it's, we, we kind of run on a shoestring team a lot of the times, or, you know, a lot of our supporters are, they're, Cannabis they're disabled. Are familiar with that as yeah, well. You know, so you, a lot of our supporters, they're, they're disabled or they're on disability or they, they're, they very limiting income and they, they can't show up to all the things. They, they can't give money. So we've got to do what we can with what we have. And, and so, you know, it's, we try our best and, and, and we try to recruit as best we can. And it's, it's been doing pretty good. We've got a, a couple of small to mid-sized towns that are very seriously thinking about doing it. They've already, these towns have already kind of gone all in on hemp. So they, they know what's up, you know, so it's slow and the more cities you get, the more representatives are going to be like, really? Okay. We got to go. We got to do this. Well, I thank you for joining us Thanks here, so much for having here, me. here at the Lone Star Collective podcast. Um, this is Matthew Bratcher. He's with Kentucky Normal. Um, is there anything you want, you want to plug website where people can find information, yeah, out about Kentucky information Normal? for Kentucky Normal is at www.kynorml.org. Awesome. K-Y-N-O-R-M-L. That's how you spell normal name dot org. We appreciate you coming and spending the time over with us. Thanks so much. Have a great day. I'm Jesse Williams. I'm the host of the Lone Star Collective Podcast. We're recording live from the Southern Hemp Expo here in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be right back after these sponsor messages.
Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams. Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. We're recording live from the Southern Hemp Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. My guest this segment is Morris Beagle. He is the founder, the creator. You're the manager of the Southern Hemp Expo, NOCO. How many other expos you got? I know you've got several. Well, it's, it's those two right now, primarily. But we've done Winter Hemp Summit, which was something that we did in Colorado to kind of kick off each year. So we did that in 2018, 2019, 2020. Uh, the Hawaii Hemp Conference, which we did three times. Uh, Hemp on the Slope, which we did four times. Hemp Harvest Party, which we did like six times. Hemp on the Bayou, we did. We went to New Orleans right before Jazz Fest in 2019. Well, that's so, amazing. Yeah, but you know, since COVID, it's really NOCO and Southern Hemp Expo at this point. Listen, the last one I attended, I went to NOCO in 2021, and I interviewed you on the Texas Hemp Show like shortly afterwards with Russell Dowden. Right. And we got to have jokes about that because I referred to it as I was like, it was the Hemp Expo that was like being in Ikea. Little arrows are on the ground telling you where to go. Yeah, we had super wide aisles we had one-way traffic we had socially distanced booths that couldn't touch each other yeah masks everywhere and the mask police that were pretty militant and that was a challenging show but we pulled it off we were the first trade show to come back after the pandemic to get authorization to do a show of that size and i was amazed by how many people showed up to that like i was surprised that even with that kind of thing put in place people were like oh i'm going to i'm going to be there right and despite being spread out it seemed packed that was it had it had a pretty good feel overall. But it was that's a big space. Yeah, and then this this is its own little unique setup. It's not that type of thing, but I've noticed like I've seen quite a lot of people walking through. And it's times it doesn't seem like it's that packed, but I, I, I stop and I take a look back and I go, This is full. Like this is healthy, it's moving, there's people talking, people are getting what they need out of this. Right. It's it's not like packed, but there's been enough traffic and enough attendees. And the exhibitors and sponsors have all been, it's been a great show. The energy's been really good. Conversations have been good. The relationships that have been made have all been good. We were talking about having healthy traffic here. And I'd say it, it was definitely worth the vendor's time and money to be here. Because they, you said there's been plenty of attendees coming through that. And I've seen, I don't think I've seen many booths where there has been people walking up. Like there's a few, it's like there's a couple of advocacy groups. And it's like they've got very limited as to what they need and what they want to get out there. And there's, People like myself who have talked to them and like I'm their audience because I'm running the non I'm working with a nonprofit for advocacy work. But I can tell there, there's a lot of business going on and it's it's healthy. It's healthy. You help the economy be healthy in this industry. Well, I'm trying to, and that's the whole point of doing trade shows, conventions, conferences like this, is to get the industry together, to get people to do business together, to get people to start having discussions and and talking about the issues that the industry faces and what can we do collectively and collaboratively to address these issues and to have the industry be able to create commerce and to create impact 
across the country like we know that it can do. So y'all's next major event is Minoco, correct? Correct. At the end of March. End of March. That takes place in Denver, Colorado. Well, we're moving it. Oh, we're moving it. We're moving to the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. That's correct. I, don't know, I remember I saw the Broadmoor. Colorado Springs is about 45 minutes south, correct? It's about an hour. There's also an airport at the Broadmoor or in Colorado Springs, but the Broadmoor is the longest-running five-star resort in the world. It was built in 1918, 5,000 acres, a great hotel accommodations. They got a brand-new convention center with meeting space. It's spectacular, so we're really excited to move there. Awesome. Where can people find out more information about NOCO? NOCOHempExpo.com. Awesome. This is Moore's Beagle with NOCO and Southern Hemp Expo. He's the founder and creator of all this. We appreciate you coming, giving us some time to talk. We want to be able to promote more of these events in the future. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, the Lone Star Collective. We've been recording live from the Southern Hemp Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be right back after these sponsor messages. Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas. A full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams. Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, coming back from a sponsor break, recording live from the Southern Hemp Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. I've got a member of the Texas Growers Coalition. Tennessee here. Growers Coalition. Tennessee. Tennessee. Right, we're in Nashville. And we're in Nashville. Man. Southern Hemp Expo. I've had too many edibles. Let's just blame it on that. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, haven't we all? <laughs> Joe, you're part of the Tennessee Growers Coalition. Right, right. We are a 527 uh, state pack. PAC, Political Action Committee. Uh, so we, we, we lobby the state government here in Tennessee, and we try to influence elections with contributions to candidates that are favorable to cannabis uh, all around hemp and legalization of uh, adult use and medical uh, use cannabis as well. Also, not just hemp growers, growers, no, we, growers. We, we, uh, I, you know, I have been the chief lobbyist for the hemp industry in Tennessee since uh, 2015. I guess so. So I came in after the farm bill, the original farm bill had passed, but then everything since then I've sort of been involved with. Uh, so you know, in in 2016 we passed a, a bill here where universities could do research on cannabis up to 0.6, uh, six tenths of a percent delta nine THC. Uh, that didn't really come up much, but then that kind of we got some momentum from that. Uh, and in 2017 we passed a bill uh, called we call it the Hemp Consumer. Uh, Consumer Use Act. Uh, now we we didn't have it. We didn't have. We didn't really have a uh, it named then, but we we've named it since then because what that the, the Department of Agriculture in Tennessee came to us and they said it's Jesse, right? Jesse, they uh, Jesse, they said you know it's clear that it's legal to grow hemp in Tennessee, but it's not clear that it's legal for the farmer to sell it to anybody, and it's not 
clear that the, it's legal for the consumer to actually possess that product. The same amount of confusion. For well, the well, well, so that so that's why we we ran that bill. We had Republican support to run that bill, and we ran it. And in 2018, the subsequent year, then there was a thing called Operation Candy Crush, where Rutherford County Sheriff's Department, the DA, and two municipal police departments over there. Murfreesboro is about 30 miles southeast of here, so it's it's in the Nashville metropolitan area. So the, in, in Rutherford County, so they went in and raided 30 uh, stores just for selling CBD. Now, you know, we're here in a convention center in Nashville, Tennessee, that's loaded with Delta 8 products, Delta 9 by volume products, THCO, THCV, THCP, HHC. It's all there. It's all there for people to, to either resell, buy and resell, or to consume samples or whatever like we're doing today. So anyway, just for CBD, they went in and raided 30 stores, and 28 of them were minority-owned uh, stores. And, and so they go in, and they, they seize all the product. They take cash. Uh, they throw women in paddy wagons, uh, a, a pregnant lady. Uh, they roughed up a lesbian. I mean, they were. They, it was. It was like civil rights violations. I'm sitting out thinking. The I'm like, ass, I'm like okay? this sounds familiar. We've had something similar in Texas, but it didn't get uh, that okay, bad. Okay, so out, out, out the ass. So they arrested all these people. Well, we came in the next week uh, for for the hearings, and the news people were there. We were there, and the 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 uh, one of the chiefs of police of La the chief of police of Laverne, Tennessee, I believe it was, was they, they had they had named it Operation Candy Crush because there was the the, the game, the video the video game Candy Crush and well, the, the CBD was being sold in candies and gummies and things like that. And he was like, uh, it, it, for, for this area, for the news, it was sort of a semi-viral video. It might have gotten three or 400,000 views, you know, which it's not, not globally viral, but locally it was viral. And, and so they come in and the judge, like, you know, DA and, and the sheriff and the chiefs and all that, they had one opinion of how the law read. And, but then the judge, who can actually read, he's like... I don't see anything illegal here. Leave these people alone, whatever, whatever, whatever. So they had to return all. It's the first time we ever know of where forfeiture money was actually returned, given back. All the product was given back. And then the lawsuits started to ensue. There were damage suits. That no, came 1984 in. suits, as they call them. Yeah, so, so, so there were damage suits. But then the government was also uh, appealing the ruling at the same time. Well, our law that we passed, the it was then where then I was the Tennessee. We were the Tennessee Hemp Industries Association. Now we're the Tennessee Growers Coalition. And, and, but but then uh, that bill that we ran with Jay Reedy was the House sponsor of Jay Re and Frank Nicely, Senator Frank Nicely, uh, was the Senate sponsor of that bill. That bill was upheld by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals and remanded back to the lower court, and they were forced to pay millions of dollars of damages yeah, like, because of the work we did here. In 2018, we became the first state to allow the feeding of hemp to livestock. Now, you can't sell in the commercial food uh, like in the grocery stores, yeah, that, that, that produce are like eggs or beef or whatever that's hemp fed. But in, in farm to table and farm to consumer markets, you can sell hemp fed produce in Tennessee. Do that in here last year in our legislative session was allow livestock feed to right. be made from like hemp materials. And it was an add on to a bill. And we lost all of that because the Delta 8 thing came up. And it right. quickly turned into, well, how do we ban Delta 8 without it, killing the, well, we, the market? We were a couple of years ahead, so we were able to address these questions before we knew what Delta 8 was. Yeah. It did, you know, other than some clinical trials going on in Israel back in the 1980s and 90s with Machulam, you know, they, they, nobody even knew what Delta 8 was. And, and Delta 8 was actually used in clinical trials uh, to help children that had like epileptic problems that needed something stronger than CBD, but it was less psychoactive. Uh, yeah, so then Delta Nine. There's re I'm so, surprised. There's research from like the 60s and 70s into Delta Eight. Yeah, but because yeah, yeah. the whole hype about well, it's all marijuana. They just right. kind of were like, just leave it alone. Well, Don't mess with it. Well, okay. So in 2019, we came in, and and, and that's when Kelly uh, Kelly Hess, our executive director, came on and started partnering with me in our lobbying efforts. Uh, in 2019, we were able to pass a bill uh, that explicitly defined smoke smokable hemp, and we became the first state of 50 to actually codify the legality of smoking hemp. And and so but what, the way we did that is we called it the, the, the Hemp Child Smoking Prevention Act because what we did is we said that you have to be 21 in order yeah, to smoke this legal product. And, and, and then if you're not 21, uh, well, actually it was 18 at the time, but then state law subsequently changed to t smoking 
or, or vaping at 21 and everything yeah. went to 21. So then that hemp became 21 uh, as well. So um, our state said so, it goofily. Like we, we went up having where they, they claimed that we could not um, manufacture a smokable product. And then all of a sudden our Department of State Health Services tried to say we could not sell it either. That it was Right. And you're talking about in Texas? In Texas. Okay. We couldn't have retail sale. We had a giant lawsuit about this over like the last year and a half, two years right. from when we put the law in place in 2019. And our Supreme Court went, well, they're not wanting to acknowledge the retail ban anymore. They've dropped that on their own. So you can still sell it, but the legislature is still allowed to do so. They're allowed to ban the manufacturer yeah, because they, can't, right, right, because right, they right. said it's not, exactly. it's not a tradition we the way, have. The way, that the, the way that the Farm Bill is, is written, you can do anything up to the federal limit, but the state can decide whether to, have to not have it at all. So, so but in, in the, here this year, we, we had a bill to regulate and tax Delta 8 and all the other. We, we basically created a, a cannabinoid schedule. Uh, where it listed all the all the novel cannabinoids and said you had to be 21 to consume them. We we put a milligram cap of 25 milligrams per dose. All right, well, and we added a uh, a wholesale uh, excise tax to it, which would be similar to what tobacco pays. Exactly, it'd be exactly like tobacco. It was patterned after the tobacco tax that we have here in Tennessee. So that bill got killed, and then they ran a bill to law enforcement ran a bill to ban it, and it got killed. And then the sponsor uh, of the ban bill actually sort of flipped because of about a thousand calls that we had come in from his district uh, to keep it. So he ended up basically modifying our bill and running it again. And then it was killed. So we basically had a third that were for regulation and tax. We had a third that were for laissez-faire, nothing, no regulation. And we had a third for the ban. So nobody could agree. So we're now, we just are in, we're still legal. Everything's still 100% copacetic. We don't really have any legislation in place to to regulate uh, the novel, the hemp derived novel cannabinoid industry. So that's what we work. We're, we're working on it again uh, this year. So that's that's sort of one of our main goals is to make lock in Delta Eight and make it permanent. And and then well, obviously, unless federal action makes it illegal or it consumes it into the larger, it puts it in the medical marijuana. Uh, side, uh, which we don't want that. Um, but, you know, again, we can't control what the feds do. And that's the, the CAOA, uh, the, the, the federal bill that came out last week, that was, uh, you know, it, a lot of it was good. The criminal justice reform uh, that was contained in it, that was all good. Uh, the, the decriminalization of, of amounts up to like 10 ounces uh, of flour was good the the the, the expungement of sentences uh, that didn't have involve a felony like or a firearm or something like that if it was just simple possession you know those would all be expunged so those were a lot of good things about it and then there was money uh, the tax was way too high I mean they they, they ramped up to a twenty five percent that's insane uh, wholesale tax that's at the federal level so you know we're already trying to add, we're talking about ten percent here in Tennessee so you're what it would do is we just price the black market right back in yeah, exactly. You you know, so you know the the whole purpose of having legal cannabis is so we can extinguish the black market permanently. We have a product that's actually safe for people to consume because exactly. they're going right, to consume right, right, it regardless. Right. And that's been our argument here in Tennessee. We still don't have any recreational or medical uh, marijuana, and, and so the argument has been is the perpetuation of the black market now the way that things can be adulterated with heroin. Uh, it can have fentanyl mixed in it it could have you know meth sprayed on it it can have a number of of, of terrible compounds put on obviously have a, a hemp program that's running very similar to texas where you said it's by weight by volume so you're able to show say hey you know we've put these edibles out right and it's basically the same thing you would see in a medical program for basic individual edibles exactly. and the sky has not fallen into well it, it hasn't no and in fact except for just like some people dropping the gummy on the ground and their kid picking it up and eating it that's, those are only instances that that the news media and the law enforcement have been able to point to here. Well, you know, and, and we, we actually have called for milligram caps uh, on our uh, per, per serving on our products, and the reason is is because, you know, and I'm a 57 year old man, and if I didn't have experience with cannabis products, and somebody at work said, "Hey, you need to try D8," it really helps me sleep at night. You know, but then you go out and you get a candy bar and it's four servings and it's 150 milligrams and you're like, oh, this is tasty. And you eat the whole thing. Well, it, you know, some for me, I would just crash. But a lot of people, they go into a paranoid state and they think they got to go to the, the hospital. But nobody still nobody's ever died from cannabis poisoning. It's never happened. So it's never, ever happened. So it's not like 
heroin or meth or any of those other family killing cannabis uh, opioids it's a fine line to be walking with that because there are patients that are going hey you know I'm needing more than 2530, and I don't want to have to take multiple pieces at a time to get this. Well, because it starts to become costly. As it it, well, and that's unfortunate. But I mean, we I've seen I've seen D8 gummy rings that are 250 milligrams. And that's just, you know, if you need 250 milligrams, Radioland, uh, you need to just uh, eat 10 pieces, you know. Sorry. Now, if you have diabetes, there's probably a sugar-free variety out there, and you can still eat 10 pieces. And I think most people who are in that position, they're probably, they'd be wanting a tincture, and it's like, you're going to get that in a way different no. thing. You're going to know that's what you're getting. It's, very, it's painfully hot. Well, and I, I have, I have you know, minor bronchial issues, so I don't like to vape, and I don't like to smoke. I used to smoke uh, back in the day, and I loved it then, and I don't mind it now, but it gives me, like, the... I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want that crud in, in my bronchial tube. So, I mean, I am an edible consumer. That's what I. That's what I do. Is if I'm gonna if I'm gonna catch a buzz, uh, I'm gonna use uh, edible products. So, you know, that dosing is extremely important, particularly when there's a vast difference between delta nine by volume products and delta eight by volume well, it's products. Got completely different effects. It, it, it's completely different effect. And I, I personally, you know, and, and as much as people want to say that delta eight is synthesized, it's isomerized and uh, and it doesn't occur naturally. So theoretically, I mean, it does exist in very, 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 very minuscule What's amounts. What's funny is I point out to uh, people, naturally. we have a few extractors in Texas that have, um, because of how much volume is coming through their facility. Right. As I point out to people, what's the beach made up of? Sand. And the Delta 8, the plant, is like each individual grain of sand. But if you get enough sand, you've got a beach. Well, exa- exactly. So, so it's, but, 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 but the great thing about Delta 8, and the reason we don't have the massive side effects, is it's made from CBD isolate, which is already a pharmaceutical-grade product. And when you're, you're converting that, and everybody's like, oh, use these dangerous solvents, use these toluene, dangerous acid to convert this. It's like we learned in 11th grade in chemistry class that an acid plus a base equals salt plus water. So as much toluene as you added in, you add that much baking soda in, and it combines and it forms a salt, and you harvest the salt off of it, and you don't have any residual left if you've done right, uh, if you've done the process right. So, again, you're back to a, a pure product. It's a pure cannabinoid, and it's not dangerous, and it has minimal side effects. Other than the buzz, other than the buzz, it has minimal side effects. It's funny you mentioned that. I did the inverse when COVID hit because we needed alcohol, and most of the places like, well, we've got like a fifty percent or fifty with like witch hazel or something in it. And I told people, I was like, hey, you know, you can put salt in this. And the salt's not going to mix with the alcohol, but whatever water content there is, it'll latch onto that, and it'll start to separate, and you can grab what's alcohol off the top. And this will be the alcohol percentage you need to kill bacteria effectively. Right. So it was like, I kind of did, you know, it, it, exactly, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, so there's a lot of extreme talk about how, you know, that's why the regulatory language is so important. So we don't package products that are enticing to children. You know, I've seen CBD Oreos, I mean, D8 Oreos. I've seen yeah. uh, knockoff Tostitos, knockoff Skittles. And, Spar- and it's, it, that, that, first of all, not only is that trade, trademark and copyright infringement, you know, that's theft of intellectual property. Uh, you know, it's also enticing the children. So why do we have to? We need childproof packaging. We need caps on on dosage on serving size. It's not dosage; it's serving size because it's a food product. And we just need to be. Uh, we we need to make sure that everything is tested. Everything yeah. needs to have, uh, you know, be tested. And, and obviously, it needs to. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna be out there on front saying cannabis is healthy. You know, we need to make sure that the products are not adulterated with pesticides, molds, metals, you know, any, yeah. uh, and, and, and uh, solvents, whatever. It all needs to, we need to make sure. And, and then we can look at big ag and big food and all these things with all these additives, these food colorings and, it's, uh, 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 you know, it's stabilizers. You mentioned and, tobacco earlier about modeling things after tobacco. And I always found it insane that currently we have regulations on our hemp industries to keep all these like heavy metals and these other solvents and chemicals out of this because we know people are likely going to smoke this. But yet it's like, how is it you want to take it out of that? But the tobacco industry, 
as I remember as a kid, they used to show us these charts going, is rat poison and bleach in this? And it's like, how can that be in this? Well, well and, and, you know, that's just the thing. You know, I follow some of these G- GMO-free USA kind of uh, things on Instagram. And it's like when you read, th- th- when they actually highlight the labels and like titanium dioxide or something, some shit like that in your, in your, in your Pop-Tarts, it's like, why, why, why does a Pop-Tart need that? There was like a Skittles lawsuit that's yeah, yeah, going right, on about right. that. So it's like, you know, and it's it's like these have all been banned in Europe, and it's like you know what? I don't like uh, authoritarian socialism, but Europe's got the food thing right. That you, I, you know, they got a lot of shit wrong over there, and I'm a, I'm a I'm a God fearing, flag waving American, but but the food over, but like you can't buy bleach. You can't buy bleach in Germany because they've realized that you can't buy bleach. Well, the decent tattoo because they're like, well, that's just dangerous for you. Right, right, right. Now that's that's the nanny state, but 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 their their agricultural practices are much cleaner than ours are. And I tell you, you know, I go to Mexico, and, and the food in Mexico is so much better. It's so much fresher. It's so much cleaner. And it, I mean, obviously, you can buy processed food in Mexico too. But I'm just saying, what you eat in a restaurant is a complete. In, in what you buy in the and what you. Well, and that's just what I'm saying. So, you know, but the, but the fresh produce and, you know, the lack, you know, the, the regenerative practices uh, that they're practicing down there are, are huge. And, and, and hemp has an opportunity. And, and but the problem, the problem is, is, you know, we want a cost effective product. We want a competitive product, but we also want to integrate all these clean practices. You know, so, so there, there has to be a balance in there. We have to be sensible and we don't want to overregulate. But at the same time, uh, you know, Products, particularly that have a psychotropic effect, uh, need to be regulated. So we're going to be wrapping up this segment. We're actually going to be wrapping up recording for the Southern Hemp Expo. Plug your plug the coalition's website. Hey, uh, oh, T, it's uh, TNGrowersCoalition.com. Uh, TN, as in Tennessee, Growers, as in Hemp Growers uh, Coalition. We are a group of uh, businesses and advocates uh, that are... Uh, trying to free the entire plant for, for, for the good of humanity. Awesome. They said tngrowerscoalition.com. If you want to find more information about them, I thank you for your time, Joe. Well, thank you. Jo- fun. Joe Kirkpatrick from the Tennessee Growers Coalition wraps it up for the Southern Hemp Expo that we've been recording live. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Hope you all visit us on our next episode. Check out our podcast on YouTube, our channel, Texas Cannabis Collective. You can find us where Promo Channel's main podcasts are recorded these days. doesn't take much to find us. Texas Cannabis Collective, Lone Star Collective Podcast. We appreciate everybody we've had on here today. We thank our sponsors, Oak Cliff Cultivators, the Thrive Apothecary. They've been supporting us for quite some time now in events we've been having. So I hope that everybody's having a great week. Everybody stay hydrated, beat the heat back in Texas, and y'all be safe and have a good one.